Because you have made the Lord your refuge and the Most High your dwelling place, there shall no evil befall you, nor any plague or calamity come near you or your tent. Now, you remember last year, last, year, last Wednesday, when I had, we had to go all the way back to Sesame Street. Do you remember? Do you remember on Sesame Street? Near, far, near. Does anyone, am I the only one that remembers near and far on Sesame Street? <laughs> you remember it, little brother? So this says that no calamity, no plague, no tragedy will even come near your tent. That for, and this is God speaking, for he, God, will give his angels a special charge over you. And I thought it's a special. I was looking at that. I was like, that doesn't sound like a word. But then I looked it up and I saw especially. I said, well, that is a word. So a special. I was like, it sounds like, like it's Spanglish. He will give a special charge over you to keep you in all your ways. <laughs> and no way is not your best friend. In all your ways. <laughs> His... <laughs> Totally lost my thought. He will give his charge, angels charge over you to accompany, to defend, to preserve you. Looks like I put a hard return in there. In all your ways of obedience and in service that God has specific instructions for your life. Now, you may not think that you're anything special or you're anything noteworthy, and I don't recommend us going around and getting a big head about ourselves, but you need to know one thing, that God has specific instructions over your life, that God has a specific plan for every part of your life. No matter where you are, what you're going through, what you're going to, that God has a specific plan for every single aspect of your life. That ought to be enough to set us free, that God has something for us. I like this in Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. I'm, not, I'm glad it just didn't say said the Lord. I'm, I'm glad it said declares the Lord, because he's saying when you declare something, you mean it. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and future. And I love Jeremiah 29, 11. I used to have a friend. He'd make fun of Jeremiah 29, 11. He'd say, oh, it's graduation time. We got to whip out Jeremiah 29, 11. Well, we're not friends anymore. Maybe that's why we're not friends anymore because he didn't like Jeremiah 29, 11. But I love <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 11. And I like this thing. It says, you, your entire life, on this earth is based on that scripture. That everything about you is based on that fact that God says, I know the plans that I have for your life. How does that fit into angels? That if God chooses to use angels in our life to direct any part of our life, it is to his glory and for his benefit. I have full assurance that God is directing and protecting my life. Now, I'm kind of skipping ahead here, but I want to help you with something. We shouldn't fear getting on airplanes. We shouldn't fear getting on roller coasters. Now, if it's broken down, don't get on it. <laughs> we shouldn't fear driving in cars and traffic. We should use wisdom. We should, should have our seatbelt on. We should to drive the speed limit. We should do all the things that are wise, but God never intended our lives to live in fear. We have to choose to stand in faith on these promises of our lives 
or, or our lives, or our lives will be full of fear. Any time that somebody is full of fear and dread and worry, it is a direct, direct correlation that then their life is not full of faith. Now, I've said before that we can have sympathy on somebody whose life is full of fear. We can pray for somebody whose life is full of fear. We can reach out to somebody whose life is full of fear. But God will not produce faith inside of them that they are meant to produce for themselves. So we'll do somebody a, a greater, what do you call it, a greater uh, favor if we say, you use your faith to live fear-free. You use your faith to trust God that his word is true. I was listening to Bill Johnson today at the, at the gym. I about just threw down my headphones and ran around that place screaming like a banshee. Because he said one thing, and I know this scripture, but he, he talked about in the word of God that said, God holds things all together with the word of his power. Now he said, no, we've all heard that before, but can you think about that everything in all of existence, including this planet, including your life, including all the stars, the galaxies, the universes, every, the sun, everything is held together by the word of his power. And that if, and if his word passes away, which it can't, but if his word passes away or does not exist, then everything else falls apart. But that's not how God is. He holds everything together by the word of his power. And he is holding this, the details and the specificities of our life together by the word of his very power. Isn't that good news? I lost my place. I got so excited. Let me look where I am. I like this in Isaiah. It says, for the Lord God has purposed, for the Lord God has purposed, and who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out, and who can turn him back? That's the God that you've entrusted your life to. That who can thwart him? I'm not going to try to stop him. I was at Sheila and Brian's, Pastor Brian's house last night, and we were watching uh, one of the Avenger movies. I don't remember which one it was. One of them where they came out of the sky, whatever that one was, all those. The Hulk. Who can thwart the Hulk? Even Loki tried to thwart the Hulk. And he declared, I am a God. And we know what happened right there. Wham, wham, wham. And God is, <laughs> this is, Lord forgive me. God is even bigger than the Hulk. <laughs> I know that has to be revelation to somebody that God's power is more pronounced and more strong than the Hulk. And so we can say what Isaiah says, who can thwart, who can stop, who can move God's plan off of what he has? No one can. What he's purposed, he will purpose. God is unstoppable when it comes to your life. God will not be moved. God will not change his mind. The word of God says that, that he doesn't waver. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, go back and forth. He's not, he will not change what he set in motion when it comes to your life. The only person that can change the heart of God for your life is your will. That's the only person, that's the only thing that can change the plan of God for your life is your will. But I have some advice here, but we know, but we can always ask Jonah how that worked out for him. Remember Jonah and the whale? He was running from God. He refused to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go and preach to the Ninevites. Is that how you say them? People of Nineveh? And God said, all right. 
you have a will, Jonah, but I have a way. And he got Jonah's attention through a big fish. And that big fish (laughs) changed Jonah's heart in a way. I like this story right here. The king of Aram, look at your neighbor and say, Aram. You got to say it like that too, Aram. I'm going to name my first kid that, Aram. Have you ever noticed what some of these children are called? Bartholomew. I mean, why would you name him Aram? King of Aram said, find out where Elisha is that I will send men to capture him. Let me give you a real quick background on what was going on here. Elisha was up against these people, the Aram, people of Aram, Aramites. And God is telling Elisha secrets about King Aram, King of Aram, and what he is saying when he's whispering to other people. So then Elisha goes around and he's telling all the things that God told him. And so King of Aram's like, how are people finding out my secret, uh, secret plans when I'm telling it in, in, a, in a secret room, an airtight room, and then they figure out that he's finding out that Elisha is finding out King of Aram's plans by the Holy Spirit, by God. So he said, well, you've had enough of that. So he says, find out where Elisha is and I will send men to capture him. Next verse. Cooperate with me, scroll with So the king sent horses and chariots and a large fighting unit. That sounds like my sister when we were kids. <laughs> she was a one-person large fighting unit. You know, there was four of us, four boys in our house, and my sister, who is our pastor's wife. And can I let you know that my sister could beat all four of us up at one time without breaking a sweat. And we were stupid enough to attack her. And our oldest brother, who was the troublemaker, does anybody have any siblings that are troublemakers? I mean, they start off, who, who is the little brother? Kennedy? Yeah. So our oldest brother was a troublemaker. And he, I got to tell you this story. My sister, since she was the only girl, she had her own room. And so my brother, oldest brother, would send my twin brothers in there to attack her in her room every night. Now, let me tell you how every night ended. First of all, he would send them in there with stupid uh, war tactics. Like he'd say, oh, Robert, you go this way. And Richard, you go this way. And you attack and do not retreat at it, whatever she does, do not retreat. So those idiots would go in there. Now you have to, we're a little more chunky in our old age, but back then we all weighed about 105 pounds dripping wet with coats on. And so they'd go in there to attack Sheila in her room and, and, and Billy would holler, attack! And here those idiots would go. And as soon as they got within a radius of Sheila's arm, whack, whack, whack. And and they would be retreating with my oldest brother saying, no, don't retreat, press on. And they'd come out bruised and crying, yes, crying. And so then this is how every single night ended. Robert and Richard would be crying and mom and dad would line us all up and spank all of us because we were fighting. Every night. And we were dumb enough to do it the next night. (laughs) So (laughs) what happened here is that the king of Aram said, I'm sick of Elisha. And I'm sick of his name too. 
and I'm going to send my horses and chariots and a large fighting unit because I'm going to take Elisha down because he has the audacity to hear from God and interrupt my plans. Next verse, and when the servant of the man of God that worked with Elisha got up the next morning and went outside, he saw the troops and the horses and the chariots surrounding the city. And he, Elisha's servant asked, Master, what should we do? That sounds like Robert and Richard. (laughs) What should we do? Because he sees that the King of Aram and the Aramites have come to attack Elisha because he has the audacity to hear from God. And Elisha answered, don't be afraid. We have more forces on our side than they have on theirs. And so I can imagine that Elisha's servant, you know, he wasn't really like a slave. He just like a person that worked with him. He's probably standing at the tent door and he's like, Elisha, look at how we're surrounded. We're completely surrounded. And Elisha's behind him saying, don't be afraid. Are you kidding me, Elisha? <laughs> and then he says this brilliant statement. Elisha says, for we have more forces on our side than they have on their sides. And so his servant, I don't know what his name is. Let's give, him, let's give him a cool name. What should we call him? Jimmy. Jimmy. And he looks at all the surrounding forces. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 200, 300, And then he looks at one, two. <laughs> Elisha! And Elisha says... Don't be afraid. And he goes, I'm going to have to change my britches because I teet teet. Don't be afraid, Jimmy. Because the ones that are with us are more than the forces against us. And I love this part right here. Oh, I found this little picture. I don't know how true this is, but some artist rendered it. So there's Elisha and there's Jimmy. (laughs) I don't know if this is changing the word of God, but the Lord will forgive us, I think. And then, so he, well, watch what happens right here. I skipped ahead. I shouldn't show you the picture. Then Elisha prayed, Lord, please open his eyes so that he may see. And the Lord opened Jimmy's eyes. And the mountains around Elisha were full of fiery horses and chariots. That there's Jimmy, TT going down his leg, And he looks around and behind the army that he just counted is a host. And I believe it's angelic because his his spiritual eyes were open and he sees it full of fiery horses and chariots. And Elisha's word to him was true. Those that are with us are more than those that are against us. The enemy doesn't want you to know that truth. He doesn't want you to have any revelation that the God that is with you is greater than anything that comes against you. God's faithfulness is to us in the same manner. That we, the the same God that we serve today is the same God that told Elisha, I'm going to surround you with my power. That you were never, as Michelle said today during, during compassion, you were never designed to fear. 
but Jonathan, I, I fear a lot. Well, let me, let me let you in on something because I have to minister this to myself too. We were never designed to fear. Let's take it a step further. We were never designed to worry. That's why worry takes such a toll on our lives. Have you ever, I had it last night. Have you ever had this like right in the middle of the night? I wake up and bong, eyes wide open, and I'm thinking about 13 situations that I wish were different. And look, can I just say, out of the 13, 12 have not manifested at all. They just have created imaginations in my mind that it's going to be bad. And am I the only one? <laughs> and God's word to us, what he produced in 2 Kings is that you were never designed to worry. But Jonathan, I don't know. He does. But Jonathan, I don't know why. He does. But I don't, Jonathan, I don't know when. He does. Well, what was I designed? I was designed, you were designed to trust him. And if he chooses to use angels to surround me, then so be it. But he just may show up by all on his own, which is just as good with me. Is this good or what? That there, why? Because there is no fear in God. There's no part of God that is, is fearful. I saw this tweet earlier this week that something along the lines of that God has never looked at a situation and went, hmm. Can I, can I, can I put it this way? That God looks at every situation and he looks at every situation in our lives with this big old smile on his face because he says, I know the plans I have for you. I know them. He says, I know them, and they're to prosper you. They're to do good things for you. They're to give you a future and a hope. That if I went and, say, went and tapped on God's shoulder and said, you know what, this is what I think might happen. What do you think? And he said, oh, let me tell you what I think. I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but he says, I, I think you're going to like the way it turns out for you. I, I, I think you're going to like the way that I handle this. I think you're going to like the resources that I've allocated for your situation. That's what he told Elisha. He said, Elisha, tell that young man to open up his eyes and see for real what's going on. That God designed himself to outmatch everything that you would ever face. He designed himself to be undefeated in every situation. I mean, if your word, <laughs> if your word is holding everything together, I have a feeling you've got a pretty good handle on everything else. <laughs> I have a feeling if the very word that came out of your mouth is holding this entire existence together that we call life, then I have a funny feeling you got it all under control. That Romans says, what then shall we say in response to these things? That if God is for us, who can be against us? You are the only one that will shape your faith to believe that God is who he says he is.
that no one else can develop your faith when it comes to that. Nobody else can pour liquid faith on you and all of a sudden that you start trusting God. You are the only one that can develop that trust. Can I give you a sneak peek to next week? Next week, I'm gonna do a single night message called Hosting His Presence. And I'm gonna give you a challenge at the end of next week's message on hosting his presence. But I'm gonna give you the key next week on how when we host his presence, that the faith of God comes and is developed. Don't, don't let me jump ahead to that. This is an all-out attack to get you to live in fear instead of faith. That we could be like Jimmy. Jimmy standing out there. Elisha! What are we going to do? And Elisha saying, Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy, what a great name. Jimmy, we weren't designed to live in faith, in fear. We were designed to live in faith. As a matter of fact, I'm going to pray real quick and I'm going to believe the Lord's going to open up your eyes and you're going to see that God backs us up. Taylor, if you'll come on down. Let me read the first earlier part of Romans that if God is for us, these are the scriptures before. And we know that all things, look at your neighbor and say all things. Stretch out that all, say all things. I lost my place. All things. God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose for those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. I'm going to wrap this up with the prettiest bow you've ever seen in just a second. That he might be, that he might be, Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. I'm going to tell you something next week about hosting his presence and about you being designed for glory that your socks are just going to go. It's going to knock your socks off. Lost my place. You ready for this? You ready for this? God is just as committed to you as he is to Jesus. I got to remember that. But that'll stir my faith if I have that revelation that God is just as committed to me as he is to Jesus. You ready for this? You ready for this? God's desire and his design is that you, to, that you are to live in the same faith Jesus lived in. Now, a lot of us are like, the same faith? Are you kidding me, Jonathan? Because Jesus had a lot of faith. Well, can I give you a secret on what he said? He, he said, I don't do anything unless my father tells me to do it. He didn't, go, he didn't go anywhere, walk into a room, slam his hand on the table and say, I am Jesus Christ. And here I am. Be impressed. But everywhere he walked, everywhere he went, he did in faith to what his father was ministering to his spirit to do. And I read it to you in Romans a minute ago that we were designed to live in that same kind of dependency and trust 
that Jesus lived in and have the same results that Jesus lived in. When we talk about angels, Jesus said, I could call legions of angels to come and rescue me from the cross. And then he also made this statement. He said, I said, no one takes my life. I lay it down. And not because he thought he was something special, even though he was. And not because he thought he was something impressive, even though he was. But Jesus himself had a revelation and a trust in who his father was. And that revelation and that trust said, I have angels surrounding me. That revelation and that trust said, no one takes my life. That we don't, speaking of angels, we don't have to live in fear that some tragedy is going to come and snuff out our life. Oh, but Jonathan, what if it happens? You know, oh, Aunt Susie Q, you know what happened to her? You know what Uncle, you know, Uncle Milford, you remember what happened to him? If we base our life of faith on what happened to Aunt Susie Q or what happened to Uncle Milford, that ain't based on fear. That's not based on faith. It's based on fear. And if we establish our lives living after what happened to so-and-so and saying, what if and how come, then we will never live a life of faith like Jesus did and how we were designed to live. And that life of faith that says, he gives his angels charge over me to keep me in all of my ways. That calamity and disaster and fear and worry will not even come near my dwelling. One of the overseers of our church is a lady named Pat Harrison. And her father was a man named Kenneth Hagen. And Kenneth Hagen got a lot of, what do you call it, persecution for walking, for preaching faith, walking a life of faith, and all that other kind of stuff. One thing you'll, you'll, you'll never be able to convince him different. I believe this was Brother Hagen. That he said right in the middle of the night when he was sleeping, he woke up and visually saw at the end of his bed this grotesque, demonic, looking creature that was there and he knew it was if it was a Satan he knew it was at least a demon that had manifested and you know something that just you know those worst fears of your life and there it was manifest right in his bedroom and you know what brother Hagen did he said oh it's just you and flipped over on his side and pulled the covers over and went back to bed now that'll take the wind out of your sail if you're some demon (laughs) (laughs) why would he have because he had trust he had developed a trust and a faith that God is who he said he is and that if necessary legions of angels would surround us that if necessary he would give his angels specific instructions over our lives can I take it one step further as we close that God himself would stand in the midst of us if it meant protecting us. How do you know, Jonathan? What father would allow their child to be in danger 
that would not get between them and danger. Can I say it this way? Every good father, if their child was in danger and they were present, they would get between them and whatever danger was present. And with that statement, you're going to have to go through me first to get to them. That's God given. That's his heart. Before it ever was our heart, Jesus made this statement. He said, if you then being evil know how to do good things for your kids, how much more does my father, how much more does our father? And if we have that developed faith, that developed trust in our lives that comes through every day saying, I trust you, I put my hope in you. I know that you're working things together for my good. If we have that continue going in our lives, we just go around and something tries to threaten us or fear for us. Oh, it's just you and roll over and go back to bed. I want to pray for you really quickly. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just the Lord prompted me as we're closing this service that every, every eye closed, please. And I'm even closing my eyes on this one. Nobody looking around, including me. If you've been dealing with sleep issues, just raise your hand and then you can put it right back down. No one is looking. If you've been dealing with sleep issues of fear and torment, just raise your hand and you can put it right back down. That's a response to the Lord, not to me, not to anybody else. My eyes are still closed. If you've been dealing with any sleep issues, just raise your hand as a sign to the Lord and then put it right back down. Father, I pray right now over all sleep issues. And I thank you, God, that the Holy Spirit himself is ministering to us in our sleep, is ministering to us in our rest, that you said you would give us rest, but you prefaced it by saying that you would give your beloved rest. That you just didn't promise rest, God, but you said, I will give my beloved rest. And so, Lord, over every person dealing with tormenting spirits, tormenting thoughts, thoughts of uncertainty, by the power of the name of Jesus, we break the power of those thoughts in the name of Jesus. We break the authority of the enemy over them right now in the name of Jesus. And we release the Spirit of God. Angels, I know that if it is necessary, you will set up posts around our bedrooms. God, I know that you, if it is necessary, that there is an angelic presence that is taking up, taking post all around our bedrooms. God, I thank you that you give us that revelation. Oh, that we have that a revelation like Jimmy did. That our eyes are open and that when we wake up in the middle of the night and those thoughts come, all of a sudden we remember, we remember, oh, no, 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 no. In this very room is the presence of the living God. In this very room is angelic host to keep me in all my ways. In this very room is a promise that it won't even come near my dwelling. A thousand may fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but it will not even come within the vicinity of where I am. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, bless the Lord. Amen. Amen.
you ever had that thing where you're, I loved this, uh, uh, Bill Johnson said this a while back on something I was listening to. You're like, you know, it's Jonathan, I read the Bible and I fall asleep. Have you ever had that? Jonathan, I start praying and man, I, as soon as I start praying, I fall asleep. Can I let you in on a secret when I was a little boy? I guess I do this now, but I own my own house and live by myself, so I do what I want. I am grown. But when I was a little boy, I would lay on the living room floor. Have you ever done this? And, and mom would say, Jonathan, go to bed before you fall asleep. Because they knew somebody was going to have to carry me. And y'all still, anybody still do that? Where your parents have to carry you to your bed. <laughs> and you know what I'd say? I'd be sitting on that floor because I knew I was tired. I knew I was tired. I'm resting my eyes. I was a lion, sucker bill. I'm resting my, I'm going to sleep. But have you ever had that where you've fallen asleep reading your Bible or you've fallen asleep praying and you then you wake up like, oh man, I did it again. I mean, you wake up and the Bible's laid across you. Bill Johnson said this, which I believe is the heart of God because I believe that God is freeing in all of his ways. And he said, I have never, Bill Johnson said, the Lord prompted him. He said, you never scolded your children for falling asleep in your arms. You never chastised your, if you're, if you were holding your child and they fell asleep, you never chastised them for falling asleep in your arms. If you're reading the Bible or praying, all of a sudden that just the rest of God comes over you, praise God, get some sleep. (laughs) That's good sleep right there. Amen. That's good sleep. I mean, that's mouth drooling sleep right there. (laughs) All right.